0: Well, good morning. Let me encourage you, if I can, to go ahead and grab a Bible and join me in John's gospel in the New Testament. This morning, we are gonna be in John chapter 11. And if you're new to Shades or or if you're joining us online this morning, we're so grateful for the opportunity to, to gather together with you. And we've been walking through a series on seven specific statements that Jesus makes about himself as recorded for us in the Gospel of John. So we're continuing in that series here on this Palm Sunday, John chapter 11 is where we will be spending some time. And before we dive in, I do wanna just real quickly thank Pastor Ben Baber, our college pastor, for preaching last week when, when I was out of town. Megan and I had the privilege of being with, with our high school students from here at Shades on a mission trip in Arizona. And it was an incredible, week. It was phenomenal to see the way God is at work among our students who who went on this trip. We we had the opportunity to go door to door and share with a lot of people uh, in the Flagstaff area and have conversations about the gospel. We had the the privilege of helping a brand new church plant that will be launching officially this week for for Easter weekend. And so we had had the opportunity to serve with them, helping them get their space ready for Easter services. We we served in a homeless shelter. We we had the opportunity to do all kinds of great things. And it was an amazing week. I want you to know, if you have concerns about the future of the church, if you have concerns about what's happening among the next generation, you just need to get to know some of the students here at Shades. Because God is doing an incredible work among the next generation. It was so fun to be a part of it. I'm so thankful to be back. I was especially grateful to be back this weekend after spending a full week sleeping in a bunk bed in a cabin full of high school guys where the shower and the bathroom was outside in another building. And every night it was below freezing. In fact, on Thursday we woke up, there was snow all over the ground. I'm so thankful to be home. God bless the Southeast in the spring. Praise God. But we're going to step now into John chapter 11. And I am very excited to preach this passage on Palm Sunday because we're stepping into a scene with Jesus and some close friends of his that takes place just a few days before Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. John chapter 11 Beginning in verse 25 is where we will be focusing today. Actually, I'm going to try to walk us through this story in its entirety. But verses 25 and 26 contain for us this I am statement of Jesus. So let's stand together. And let's look at what the Word of God says. And let me read from John eleven twenty five 25 and 26. And if you are new to Shades, I want you to know we stand each week for the reading of God's Word so that we all can be reminded that the Word of God is our foundation. This is what we stand upon as the people of God, the unchangeable, immovable, solid rock Word of God, firm beneath our feet. What God says is right and good and true. So this is the word of the Lord, John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, we're gonna look at what this means. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? This is the word of the Lord, a very challenging, even provocative statement that Jesus makes about himself. Let's pray together and let's ask God to use this time in his word in our lives to show us what we need to see. Would you pray with me now? Father, we we thank you for the privilege that it is to gather together on Palm Sunday at the beginning of this holy week that you have set apart to remind us and show us the, the beauty of your love on display through the work of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, as we now turn our attention to your word, and we see this encounter with Jesus and the, the power that you have on display through Christ. I pray, Lord God, that, that, that you would use this in our lives. Lord, we, we come into this space with so many things on our mind, so many things fighting for our attention so many things pulling us in different directions. And Lord, I I pray that in this moment that you have set apart for us to engage with your word collectively as your church, I pray that you would have your way among us, that our mind's attention would be on you, that our heart's affection would be lifted up toward you, that we would think deeply about that which you say. Father, I pray that we would not be the same as a result of what your word lays before us. So come, Holy Spirit, move among your people and have your way. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. I am the resurrection and the life. This statement that Jesus makes about himself, it really is an absolute game-changing statement. Jesus is stepping into a scene here that actually speaks to one of the greatest issues uh, that causes fear uh, among all of humanity. Jesus is actually stepping into a scene of death. This is the story of a man named Lazarus, a man who was a very dear, close friend of Jesus. And and what we see here in John 11 is that that Lazarus, this close friend of Jesus, has grown very, very sick to the point of death. He actually, in this passage we're gonna read, he passes away, he he dies, he is deceased, He he is gone from the earth. And Jesus steps into this this funeral, this scene of death, this reality that we all are faced with, the reality that many fear greatly. And Jesus proclaims this beautiful good news in the midst of death. And as he proclaims this beautiful good news and the power of God is on display through him, Jesus is is inviting us to see that that there is more at play, there is more at work in the midst of this scene than, than might have originally been thought. Jesus is asking us to consider what is beyond this life. Jesus is asking us to think about what happens when this life comes to an end, when this physical body finally gives out, when, when, when our, our last breath has finally been drawn, when, when our heart stops beating in this life, Jesus is saying, I, I want to go there with you and I want to ask you to consider what will happen in that moment What will happen beyond this life? So let's walk through this this encounter, this scene, because this scene really is so poignant and so powerful, and it is so beautiful in inviting us to see the significance of the statement that Jesus makes about himself, this life and death scenario. Go back to the beginning of the story, John 11, verse one, it starts this way. It says, there was a certain man who was ill. This is Lazarus. Lazarus of Bethany, John tells us, telling us about the town where he lives. He says, this is also the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. So this is a family. Lazarus is their brother, Mary and Martha, who you see uh, in John chapter 12 as well. Uh, This is a close knit family and they are close friends of Jesus. And we see that in verse two, it says, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. It's her brother, Lazarus, who was ill. So the sister sent to him, Jesus saying, Lord, him who you love is ill. The one that you love is ill. John makes it clear, this is a close friend. This is not just an acquaintance. This is not just another person that Jesus encounters in the midst of his journeys. This is a very close friend of Jesus. Mary and Martha have hosted Jesus in their home. They love their brother. And their brother is on death's door and they call to Jesus. They, they send someone to go and find Jesus and his disciples. And, and they say, Jesus, your friend, the one whom you love is sick. He's very sick. He's at the point of death. Please come and do something. And, and certainly Mary and Martha, they, they've seen the way Jesus interacts with total strangers They've seen the power of God on display through Jesus as he's going about his life and and ministry. And they've seen him heal the sick. They've seen him perform miracles. And so certainly they're thinking, well, if he's done this for strangers, of course, he will come running to our aid right now in our time of need. Of course, Jesus is going to want to heal a friend. So they they send to Jesus and they say, Jesus, come, Lazarus is sick. We need you. But look how Jesus responds. And this is is so interesting. In fact, at first reading, it may even seem a little troubling. John takes us to an interesting place here. In verse 4, he says, But when Jesus heard it, he said... This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Listen to this. This is amazing. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What in the world? I mean, John's really setting us up here, right? verse four and five, he's saying, yes, Jesus hears about this. And he says, okay, this illness does not lead to death. And so we're thinking, of course, Jesus is going to run to Lazarus' aid. He said this illness will not lead to death. He's going to heal him. I mean, obviously that's what's going to take place. This is for the glory of God, Jesus says, and then verse 5 it says now now Jesus loved Martha and loved Mary and loved Lazarus. And then verse 6. So because he loved them in his love for them when he heard that Lazarus was ill he did not run to their side. He stayed in the place where he was for 2 days longer. This is so strange. This is even troubling. Jesus, what are you doing? You have the power to heal a friend. Why are you not stepping in immediately? Jesus, why don't you drop everything to do for your friend what your friend needs? Come on. Why would you stay two days longer? And why in the world does the scripture say you're doing this because you love Martha and Mary and Lazarus? It's because of your love that you're staying two days longer? Jesus, what in the world are you doing? I mean, if Jesus really loves them, won't he go and do what they want? It's with that question that I just want to Spend a moment getting you to think about the challenge of that question. If Jesus really loves you, won't he do what you want? Isn't that what we often conclude? Isn't that what we often believe? If someone really loves me, they will give me what I want. If someone really loves me, they will do for me what I want. I I know that's been at play in my family for as long as I've had kids. In fact, my, my, my daughters are really good at this. McKinnon and Annabeth, man, they are awesome at, at coming to me when they want something and reminding me how much I love them in hopes that they'll get what they want. Dad, because you love me, can you just fill up my car with gas? Dad, because you love me, can you just take me to Starbucks? Dad, because you love me, this dress is on sale. Don't you want to get it for me? And I've learned over time, it's taken me a little while to say, you know what, it's because I love you that I'm going to let you work hard for that dress. It's because I love you that I'm not going to fill up your car with gas this time because you already spent all your money on Starbucks and you need to learn that when there's money in the account, it doesn't need to go right out the door. But those are hard lessons for anyone to learn is that something that's at play here? You know, on this Palm Sunday, it is always sobering for me to think about what took place on Palm Sunday. Because we're seeing an element of this play out, this, hey, if God really loves me, he's going to give me what I want. That's, that's actually what was put on display at Palm Sunday. The people of Jerusalem, they gathered as Jesus was riding into town on a donkey. They laid their coats on the road. They waved palm branches. They cried out, Hosanna. Why? They were celebrating what they believed was the Messiah coming into town. They were, they were accurate to a point. They wanted a Messiah to give them what they wanted. They wanted a Messiah to come into town and to overthrow Rome. They wanted a Messiah who would be a great conqueror, who would restore Israel to prominence and greatness. They they wanted a a military leader. They wanted a king who would overthrow all the authority and, and give them the place that they believed they deserved as a nation. And so they cry out, Hosanna, the Messiah! The king, he's here. And yet, in just a few short days, those cries of Hosanna turn in to cries of crucify him. Crucify him. How how can the tide turn so quickly? The people have realized that Jesus has not shown up on the scene to give them everything that they want. But in fact, the message of hope that we have in this Holy Week is that the Savior, the Messiah, has come to give us exactly what we need. And there are many times in our lives when what we need and what we want, they don't line up. In fact, there are many times where what we want actually competes with what we need. And Jesus in his love and grace towards us, God in his sovereign rule over us, he sees what we need. He knows what we need. And as a compassionate father, he does for us what we need, what we can never do for ourselves. And here's the amazing thing that happens. When your eyes are open to the reality that God has done for you what you need the most, When your eyes are open to the good news that God has sent his son to do for you what you could never do for yourself, to to meet you in your greatest need, to fulfill your greatest need. Listen to this, your wants begin to line up with the need that has been met. Your wants begin to change when you realize the love of the father has met you in your need. So we step back into John chapter 11 and we see this crazy scene taking place where because of the love Jesus has for Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he, he delays going to visit them. He delays, he stays for two days longer where he was because he's going to show them something that's bigger than death. He's going to show them something that's more powerful than the pain that they are currently facing as they watch their brother die. Before we go there, though, I do want to turn your attention real quickly to a passage in the Old Testament that, that to me is such a, a passage of hope, a passage of, of, of peace, a passage of grace, as it reminds us of who God is and the way he sees our circumstance so differently than you and I see our circumstance. Isaiah chapter 55, the prophet says it this way, verses eight and nine, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. How often have you seen that to be true in your life? You have a plan, you have an idea, you have a desire, and God actually shows you something completely different that actually is better than what you had intended. Why? Why? Because God sees what you don't see. And God knows what you don't know. That's how the prophet continues, verse nine, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. These are challenging verses but they are beautiful verses that remind us there is a God, you and I are not him. He knows better than we know. He sees more than we could ever see. The whole big picture from beginning to end is in his view at all times. He knows what we need. And he has at work sovereignly reigning over all to lead us to what we need. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are greater than our ways. Are you willing to believe it? Are you willing to believe in faith that God knows what is best for your life, even when it might mean you don't get exactly what you wanted? Are you willing to believe in faith that God is at work to lead you where he knows you need to go even when it means taking you on a different path than the path you had originally planned? This is deep water of faith here. Jesus is showing us through his exchange with Mary and Martha and through his delay in going to Lazarus' side He wants to show us and take us somewhere by faith that would be very different than what we had originally planned. Will you trust the sovereign reign of God? That's a huge question for each and every one of us. Will you trust the authority of God reigning over all? Or When you do not get your way or things don't go according to your plan, will you shake your fist at God acting like you knew better than him? I love what Pastor Greg Mott writes in in his book about the I Am Statements of Jesus as it relates specifically to this encounter. He says, Jesus' delay is a calculated move towards what is most glorifying to God, not what is physically preferred for Lazarus or emotionally preferred for his family. God's eternal preference is always for his glory. We might as well settle it now. Our preferences will always be trumped by his glory. There will be countless times in our lives when God's glory supersedes our convenience, change of circumstances or comfort. In these moments, it is a battle to depend on God, but his strength is sufficient for those who lean heavily upon him. There's a statement there that that Pastor Greg said that is so challenging. Our, Our preferences... Will always be trumped by his glory. As it relates to this encounter with. Martha and Mary and Lazarus, as Jesus delays going to Lazarus, Jesus is actually confronting death head on and showing us the power of God at work to do even greater things in a way that is so much more profound than what we might have seen had Jesus showed up on the scene and healed Lazarus before he passed away. God is at work in this circumstance even as Martha and Mary are losing hope. Even as it appears like death will have the final say, even as it appears that death is winning the day, God is showing through the delay of Jesus that his ways are higher. And his glory will trump the preference even of his people This is challenging. This is powerful. This is profound. And when it is put in your heart, it is beautiful. To be reminded that the glory of God will be revealed and is the ultimate goal of God in all things. See, Jesus is lifting our eyes here to see who God is, to, to see who we are in, in view of this holy, sovereign, reigning God and to remind us that God is at work in all these things. He's, he's lifting our eyes to have an eternal perspective, a bigger perspective than what is right in front of our face. I love what C.S. Lewis writes about this eternal perspective. He says, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. What's our perspective? Where are we looking? What are we longing for? Are we longing for the things of this world or are we longing for the things of the next? Are our eyes fixed on eternity believing that God is at work for his glory and for our joy in a way that may not be fully seen or understood in this life, but will be fully on display in the next for those who love God and are called according to his purpose? What is our perspective? We step back into John 11, we see Jesus beginning to point to this eternal perspective. I wanna read just a couple of verses that give us some more context. Verse 17 of John 11 says this, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Remember, every detail in the scripture is there for a reason. And it was believed in Jewish custom at the time that that four days after a person was, was dead, they were officially dead. Why is that? Well, there were some stories of, of people that had gone into a coma for a couple of days or, or obviously they didn't have all the, the, the machines and the modern medicine we have. There were stories of people who were really, really sick and, and stopped breathing. It appeared like their life was over. And then within a period of time, all of a sudden they revive. But after three days, it was believed for sure someone was dead. For sure, three days later, their spirit had departed from their physical body. And so it is very intentional that John says here, four days after Lazarus died, everyone knows that someone who's been in the tomb for four days, they are gone. They are dead. There is no question. Which means in this scene, there appears to be no hope. And that's exactly what Martha communicates when Jesus does show up on the scene. After delaying to come to Lazarus, Martha says what many, I think, would say in this moment. Verse 21 of John 11, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I just want to say real quickly before we move on from this verse, I love the honesty and the transparency of Scripture. I love that the Word of God invites the people of God to be honest with God. Here we are seeing a statement of tremendous disappointment. God, if you would have intervened, this story would have been different. Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. I would venture to guess that you have a story like this. Where in the moment, there was some very real pain and some very real loss. It could be a relationship that fell apart. It it could be a a, a career that came to an end. It could be a a physical reality of loss. Whatever the case may be, it's easy to go, God, if you had done something, it would have gone different. Why didn't you do something? And yet... Even in this grief and disappointment, we see this amazing statement of faith that is made in verse 22. As Martha says, but even now, even as I feel the pain of losing my brother, even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. This is deep water of faith here. This is a statement that says, I do not understand, but I still believe. I do not get it, but I still declare my faith in you. I can't see what you're doing right now. The fog has not lifted. I feel like I'm wandering in the dark. I do not know what you're doing, but I still believe you are God. I am not. You are sovereign. I am not. I will trust in you. That's some bold faith. I do not understand, but I still believe I know that you know what is best. I know that you can do all things. I will place my trust in you. And so as Jesus responds to Martha here and the disappointment that she feels, he begins to give us a completely new perspective on death and what has happened with Lazarus. Verse 23, it says this Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise. Again, and Martha, again, being a person of great faith, said to him, "I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day I mean Martha has been taught well, she understands sound doctrine, she recognizes what has been taught throughout the Jewish faith that there is a resurrection for the people of God that will come beyond this life that that in that final day there will be a resurrection of those who have who have trusted their life." To God in faith. And Jesus is going to say to her in this I am statement that I'm the very one who invites you into that resurrection. I am the very one standing before you who is the resurrection and the life. That's where we started today, verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This is our hope. That through Jesus Christ, through the the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we know who the resurrection is. We know what calls us into the gift of resurrection. We recognize that there is life beyond this life because of who Jesus is and what he has done. This is the greatest assurance that a Christian can grab a hold of. That Jesus Christ says, I have come to provide life. I have come to give you life beyond the grave. I have come to invite you to eternal life. I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, though you die, yet shall you live. Do you have this hope? For this is why Jesus came. This is what we celebrate at Holy Week. That Jesus came to offer his life to defeat sin and death, to conquer once and for all sin and death through the power of the resurrection so that all who trust in Christ by faith can receive the gift of salvation through his grace and not only be saved in this life, but receive the gift of resurrection beyond this life. I mean, John sums it all up at the beginning of John's gospel, John 3, perhaps the most famous verse in all of scripture, John 3, 16, what does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, what? Will not perish, but will have eternal life. This is the message of the gospel. Verse 17, for God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Do you have this hope? Is this more than just an idea for you? Is this more than just a good statement of religion for you? Do you know the resurrection and the life? This is who Jesus is. The good news of the finished work of Christ. Do you believe it? Isn't it interesting that Jesus makes this statement about himself? I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus attaches a question because he knows how challenging this statement truly is. He says, do you believe it? I would say the most important question you could ever answer. Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do you believe the promised hope of eternal life that is yours through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Do you believe that the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross and in his resurrection was sufficient to to forgive your sin and to call you into new life today and eternal life when this life comes to an end? Do you believe it? As we close this story today and prepare our hearts for Holy Week and the celebration that is to come on Easter Sunday, we get this amazing prophetic preview of what will take place for Jesus to just a few days beyond this encounter with, with Martha and Mary and Lazarus at the tomb of Lazarus. And I just wanna take us to, to the end of this story to, to show us that, that Jesus is providing victory here. Jesus is showing us who he is here and Jesus is inviting us to see where he is going and what he will do for all who believe. John chapter 11, verse 41, it says it this way, as Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus, he says to someone there, take away the stone, roll back the stone. Verse 41, it says, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth, Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This beautiful prophetic preview of what would take place just a few days after this scene reveals the power and the authority of Jesus Christ over life and death. He calls Lazarus out of the tomb. He's calling those who have yet to believe out of the grave. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, I've, I've shared this on many different occasions, is, is Proverbs 24 11, right in the middle of the Old Testament. The Proverbs says this Rescue those who are being taken away to death. And hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Don't you see through what Jesus Christ has done, this beautiful rescue mission on display? that Jesus Christ came to rescue those who are being taken away to death, to, to call out of the grave, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus Christ is the one who holds back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. And the way he has held back those who are stumbling to the slaughter is he stepped right into the slaughter on our behalf. And this is where we'll go next week in in this beautiful celebration of what Jesus Christ has done. He gave his life so that sin and death could be defeated. So that you and I could be called out of the grave. So that you and I could receive life everlasting the hope beyond this life, the certainty of the God who is sovereign and reigning over all and has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. Do you believe it? For this is what Jesus Christ has come to declare. I am the resurrection and the life And anyone who believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. This is good news. This is good news that we're going to celebrate all week. This is good news that we're going to highlight next week on Easter Sunday. I want to ask you to begin praying right now about who you can invite and bring with you next week to one of our three worship services. We are going to celebrate the good news of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And you do not want those who you know and love to miss out on this good news. So let's position our hearts this Holy Week on the amazing gift of the resurrection and the life and let's fix our eyes on Jesus and what he has done and let's ask God to use us to point others to his love and the incredible gift of the celebration that is the resurrection. Let me pray for us as we close our time here this morning and I wanna ask you to be praying praying, praying that God would move in power in the lives of many as we gather on Easter Sunday next week. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you and we are so thankful for what you have shown us through Jesus Christ. And we are so thankful, Lord, that you lay out in your word so clearly the invitation to real life that comes through Jesus, the resurrection and the life. And so, Lord, I want to pray right now for anyone among us or anyone who is joining us online who have never received this this good news of the resurrection and the life that is Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that today it would be personal, that their eyes would be open, that they would realize That there is a very real need in their life and that very real need has been met by a very real Savior. I pray there would be some today who would say, Jesus, I am ready to trust in you with my life. I'm ready to follow you in faith as Lord and Savior Forgive me of my sin. I believe that you are the resurrection and the life. I am trusting in you above all else. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. And we thank you for for sovereignly setting apart a holy week that that even 2,000 years after the resurrection, captures the attention of our culture, captures the hearts of many. And we pray that you would use this holy week for your glory to lead many to the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. We thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.